Okay, we're doing a series on culture and culture shifts, and I want to suggest to you today that when culture shifts, God doesn't. So we live in a day where values are just changing just so rapidly, aren't they? And a nation here that was once built on Christian values, now we find so often that those values, they are despised, they are rejected. And, and uh, what do you do when culture shifts? Uh, more importantly, when culture shifts, do you shift with it? That is the more important question. And I want to suggest when culture shifts, God doesn't. And uh, are we going to change culture and then we say, oh, God, we need to, uh, you need to change with it. And that's what happens in churches today. We find that churches uh, so often they say, well, God didn't really mean that. Uh, God uh, spoke that to a different generation and doesn't really mean that today. And God doesn't live in the generation. He doesn't understand uh, our culture. And uh, like I'm 74 now and I've lived long enough to see a number of cultural changes. And some of them are not so good. And we see changes in things like modesty, uh, relationships. We see uh, things like a lack of respect and authority. Uh, people like teachers or the police. Uh, uh, I, when I was younger, you'd never talk disrespectfully to someone in a position of authority or even to someone older than you, that was just uh, uh, not done. Uh, we see things that are shown on TV and movies, and there have been many shifts. They are not all bad, uh, but some of them are contrary to the Word of God. Uh, we say in church, we say uh, methods change, but the message doesn't change. Uh, the way that church is done now is different than the way church was done uh, when I grew up. When church I grew up in, uh, the organ was on one side and the piano was on the other side, and never the twain shall meet. They just didn't come together. Uh, drums were of the devil. Uh, some people still believe that today. Uh, we say that like message, uh, ch the methods change, uh, but the, uh, the message, uh, the methods change, but the message doesn't change from generation to generation. Pastor Mike from our city uh, campus, he was just sharing in one of our meetings that uh, one of his young leaders came up to him and said, your generation believes that it's wrong to have sex before marriage, uh, but I'm okay with that. Uh, Mike was, uh, he said he uh, didn't really know what to say. Think, uh, have you ever, do you, have you ever heard of the Bible? Uh, yeah, I was sort of like not too sure what to say uh, about it. Uh, see, if you want to make a difference, you can't live in the pack. Things that once, bothered, that, that once bothered us that no longer bother us, we need to ask, does it bother God? Maybe we've just hardened our hearts to some things that really we shouldn't have hardened our hearts to. And my job is not to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, I don't want to get into that. We try to avoid that, uh, telling people how to live their lives. Our, our role up here, up the front, our role is to encourage you to get to know God. Just encourage you to build a relationship, to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Then he will teach you the way to go. He will teach you right from wrong. He will teach you the things that please him, that doesn't please him, and so on. My job is to encourage you. If you get that priority right, then all of the other things will fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all the other things will be added to you. All the other things will fall in line uh, with your life. So I'm not saying that all the restrictions uh, that uh, have happened in the past were right. Some were just legalism. Some were just like a really narrow interpretation of the Bible. And the problem with that is that if you uh, have a wrong uh, interpretation of Scripture, then you create a wrong image of God. And so people will look at God and think, mm, I don't know if I really like that. And, and uh, I kind of think, you know, like... Uh, if you create a wrong image of God, uh, 
then people will reflect wrong. I can't read in the Bible and it says that God sits in the heavens and laughs. God gave to us a sense of humor. I kind of think that God is a little bit different. He's not a dull, boring God that so often uh, the church has created the image of. And I think it's a sin. If you take the greatest message in the world and you make it boring, it's a sin to make God boring. And we've got to remember that it was the religious people of the day that crucified Jesus. It wasn't the people of the world. So I don't like religion, but it doesn't mean that everything goes. And I grew up in a culture where Sunday was the Lord's Day, and uh, we didn't do anything except to go to church. There was no shopping. Most of the shops were not open anyway. The odd dairy was open, and even that was uh, frowned upon. Uh, no football on a Sunday. Sunday was a day of rest. Uh, we didn't allow alcohol. Uh, dancing was of the devil. Uh, billiard saloons were deans of iniquity. I remember one of our elders saying to us, if Jesus returned today, he wouldn't want to find you in a billiard saloon. I kind of think that Jesus would probably enjoy playing billiards. You know, I, I sort of shifted a little bit on some of those things. I was not allowed. I was quite good at rugby league when I was younger. And I was not allowed uh, so often to uh, play in the rip reptiles uh, because... Uh, they were on a Sunday. And so the selector said to me, he said, look, he says, you know, I'll put you in the team, but you must come to the trials. I can't select you for the Auckland representative teams if you don't come to the uh, trials. But my father wouldn't let me play football on a Sunday. And so unless the trials happened to be on a Saturday, uh, I could never make the rep team. Uh, you know, I believe in having a day of rest. Uh, but, you know, personally, I believe that every day is the Lord's day. I don't believe that one day is the Lord's day. I kind of think, you know, Hebrews teaches us that the Sabbath is not a day. The Sabbath is a place of resting in the finished work of Christ. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a place of coming to rest in Christ of all that he's done for you. And, and so I believe that, uh, you know, setting aside a day for time for the Lord. I, I love the idea that you come to church, you come on the first day of the week, the first morning of the first day of the week, we come and we worship God. But I also believe that every day is the Lord's day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There are other things in the Word of God that I would not violate. Later on, when I got older, I did play on Sunday and got in the rep teams anyway. So uh, I, I resented it at the time, but now I don't resent the restrictions that maybe were there uh, that my father put on when I was younger because it made me cautious about cultural changes that, that are happening in the world. How do you live a godly life? How do you live a godly life in a culture that is rapidly becoming ungodly? We live in a society where our godly values are rapidly slipping away. Daniel was faced with the very same thing. He lived around about 600 BC. There is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes says that, Solomon said that. We find that Daniel, 600 BC, it was a period where Nebuchadnezzar uh, was uh, uh, modern-day Iraq. He came down and captured him. Uh, God warned the people of Israel that if they rejected him, uh, that they would be taken captive if they followed after other gods, uh, that uh, they would be taken captive. That's exactly what happened. And so the Babylonians came down, they captured them, they had war. Those that weren't killed in the war, uh, they were taken back to Babylon into what we now call exile. They were taken into exile. And so Daniel was one of those. And we find that there's a constant conflict between, between Daniel and the Babylonian culture. There were a group of godly guys uh, that were trying to obey God 
in a secular society and basically the law of the land was asking them to live their lives in a different way than what they felt God was asking them to live their lives. We live in something similar today. So if you've got your notes there and we see there in Daniel chapter 1 and in verse 1 it says these words. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, the treasure, uh, put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude in every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I just want to take out of this passage and I want to suggest to you three things that culture will try to do to you. The first one, I would say this, culture, it will try to rename you. It will try to rename you. Look at verse 7 there. It says, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. See, the first goal of culture is that it will try to rename you. It will try to change the identity that God has given to you and what God wants you to be into what this world wants you to be. It is a direct assault on your God-given destiny. God has got a plan. He has got a purpose for your life. And the devil wants to stomp on that and to stop and to, so that that is not realized uh, in your life. See, all four of these men we find that they had names that were linked to their God. And so what happened was the Babylonians wanted them to forget about their God, and so he, they changed their names so that they had names that were after Babylonian gods uh, instead. And so Daniel, his Hebrew name means, God is my judge. I answer to God and to God alone. He is my judge. And so they changed his name from that. They thought, no, we don't, want, uh, we don't want that. They renamed him Belshazzar, which means Bel protects his life. Bel was one of their gods. Not Almighty God, one of their gods, Bel protects his life. Now, there is a feminine side to this god, Bel, this Babylonian god, Bel. See, one of the attacks is on your gender. Today, we, we have a lot of talk about gender confusion. I read during a couple of weeks ago there about how the United States, they tried to change Mother's Day, the name of Mother's Day, into Happy Birthing Person Day. You're not allowed to say mother or father. You're not allowed to say male or female. Now it's all person. You see that in a whole lot of stuff that's coming through in the media today. So Happy Birthing Person Day. Day. didn't quite grab. No, it doesn't have quite the same sound to it, does it? It didn't really work. See, today it doesn't matter what gender you were created to be. You can decide. You can be whatever gender you want to be. And so we have now that we have men that say that, say that they are women, and so they can compete in women's sports events. 
and this is a huge in the states and the colleges uh, where they have a number of men that are competing as women in sports events and they're, they're winning the races and breaking the records because they're built differently. You can decide whatever you want to be. Don't listen to what this world labels are. Listen to what God. See, Daniel means God is my judge. God has decided my destiny. And then there were another three guys there that uh, were thrown into the fiery furnace later on. They were the other ones that were grouped there with Daniel. And uh, one of them, their name was uh, Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious. What a great God I serve. God is a loving God. God is a gracious God. You know, he, he is a, a God that, 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 that we don't need to be fearful of. He loves us. He cares for us. He's got a plan and a purpose for us. God is a gracious God. They say, no, you need a Babylonian name. They called him Shadrach. I am fearful of God. God is not a good God. God is mad at you. You need to be afraid of God. See, the world says, you don't want to serve God. Yeah, God is bad. You know, God wants to restrict you. God wants to make your life boring. And if you, if you become a Christian, uh, you become weird. Uh, God's not for you. You know, look at all the bad things that are happening in the world. How can you say God is a good God? Look at all the bad stuff that's happening in, uh, in the world today. And you read your Bible and the Bible's all full of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. How can you say that God is a gracious God? God's a good God. See, it is a lie of this world's culture. Everything that is written for us is for our good. God is a good God. God is a gracious God. And so we don't need to be fearful of God. Another one was called Mishael. Hebrew name was uh, Mishael is who is like our God. Basically, it means that there's nobody like our God. You know, God is amazing. Who, who can compare to God? Nothing. No one can compare to God. So they changed the name to uh, Meshach. I am despised, contemptible, humiliated. Instead of being confident in our God, there's like this false humility that, that, that they try to have opposed upon them. You know, we see culture today say, Christians, you need to be quiet. You know, we don't want to hear what you're going to say. Christians, you, you shouldn't be involved in politics. Don't mix Christianity with politics. You, you just keep your opinions to yourself. Don't get involved and in, in bring your Christian values into education. No, you, you don't have a say in that. And, and uh, we have a government now which is trying to bring in hate speech laws. All they want to do is they want to shut down any dissenting voice to take away our freedom of speech. They don't want us to say that wrong is wrong when they are saying it is right. And so they, 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 they just want to shut down any voice that comes against what is uh, said today. And uh, we have footballers that are banned from playing because they quote the Bible. It doesn't matter if you get drunk. It doesn't matter if you beat up your wife. I, I watched the game and, and the guy kicked another guy in the head twice. And the commentators, that was really bad that, you know, he'll get at least three or four weeks suspension for that. But if you quote the Bible... That offends me. You'll, you'll be banned from life if you quote the Bible. That, 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 I find that offensive. It doesn't matter if I find them getting offensive offensive. It's what uh, they get offensive. And they won't stop with footballers. They'll try to control any speech that doesn't agree uh, with what their view is. Today we have what they call cancel culture. So you can have freedom of speech as long as it's speech that we agree with. Universities, which you find were once hotbeds of uh, debate, are now being infected with cancel culture. Even in New Zealand, we've had universities that have cancelled out speakers 
because there's been people in the university that have disagreed with what they are going to say. Silence anyone that doesn't go along with today's narrative. In the United Kingdom, we have people that are arrested and convicted because they are preaching from the Bible on the streets. Uh, the, Bible administra- uh, the Biden administration in the U.S., they, they're setting up ways to uh, take away tax-free status of churches if they oppose same-sex marriage. If they refuse to uh, marry people of the same sex, then they lose their tax-free status. They're trying to bring it into also into staffing in your church, that you can't just employ a Christian on your staff. If you don't open up your staffing to anybody, then you lose your tax exemption. Uh, fortunately, Pope Francis and the Vatican, they declared that the Catholic Church cannot bless same-sex marriage. See, if the government will target and try to pick off little groups, little evangelical groups of churches or small churches, but when you get the might of the Catholic Church, then, well, then they have to be more careful because that is a very large voting block, and so they don't want to upset them. See, we don't need to be rude. We don't need to be offensive. We don't need to put other people down. Uh, we respect everyone, even though their beliefs and their lifestyle may be different than our beliefs and our lifestyle. But we do need to have confidence in our God. You know, we live in a fallen and imperfect world full of people that are fallen and imperfect, and we are part of them. You know, there will be injustices in this world because we are fallen, imperfect people. We all make mistakes. But I think that if you look at history, the nations that have done the the best in trying to address injustices in the world are the nations that have a strong Christian values as their base. In the Christian churches, uh, those nations, you know, have nothing to hang their head in shame in the sense that they have tried more than any others to address some of the injustices like slavery and other things that have happened in the world in history. There's a group of around 50 conservative MPs in the United Kingdom that have launched what is called the Common Sense Book to Take on Wokeism in British Cultural War. That's a great title, isn't it? <laughs> Common Sense Book to Take on Wokeism in British Cultural War. They say woke campaigners have long used judicial interpretation as a cover for the suppression of speech and the encouragement of a sense of victimisation and grievance culture. And then they say this, I love this, they say, conservatives need to be the Samson of the 21st century. Not the first part of Samson's life, the end part of Samson's life. They said, understanding that the two pillars holding up the temple of wokeness are the broadcast media and internet giants. You know the story of Samson, he got his arms around the two pillars and crushed them and destroyed uh, the enemy with that. Uh, Conservatives need to be the Samson of the 21st century. Now, praise the Lord, we, I think the tide might be turning. We are seeing things happening, not in this country yet, but certainly in the United States and, and, and the UK, uh, where the tide is turning. Uh, some politicians in the United Kingdom now are passing legislation that if universities ban free speech, they will face horrendous fines. So we, we are seeing people now standing up against it. See, if we don't make a stand, if our voice is not heard... Uh, then we will find that this temple of wokeness will walk all over us. And uh, so we need to be uh, strong in what we believe. Third thing, uh, uh, one name there is Azariah in Hebrew means Yahweh God has helped me. They renamed him Abednego, servant of Nebo. 
See, instead of God has helped me, I'm a son of God. No, you're just a servant. You're just a slave uh, of Nebo. And they're trying to change their view of, of our God from being a son to a slave. See, Nebo was a Babylonian god of wisdom and agriculture, patron of scribes in schools, media in schools. Man, isn't that the battlefield today? You know, media, education has been captured by the liberal left. History has been rewritten. You know, so-called experts have become like modern-day gods in our society today, silencing discussion on every aspect of speech. You know what I found so often? That there's a huge gulf between what experts say and what common sense says. A huge gulf. See, when culture shifts, you better know who you are. You better know what your identity is in Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, but he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. See, Daniel resolved for himself. He didn't judge all the Babylonians. He didn't say, oh, you guys are wrong. You're all going to hell. You're all going to burn in the lake of fire. You're all going to fry or anything like that. He didn't say all that to them at all. He was respectful to them, uh, but he asked permission. Notice the real courtesy in which he talked uh, to his master, this Babylonian master, the courtesy in which he spoke to himself. But he also had this resolve. He also had this attitude that he was not going to defile himself. It's really interesting if you read through the book of uh, Daniel and years later, you find where uh, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 and verse 8, who was the king, and then the queen of Babylonia in chapter 5 and verse 12, they both called Daniel by his Hebrew name, Daniel. They didn't use the new name that they had been given. Babylonian culture never renamed him. And then number two, it will try to tame you. It will try to get you to compromise. They'll try and get you to think, well, it doesn't really matter. Everybody's doing it. The government says it's okay, so it must be okay. And I'll do it because everybody else is doing it. And every time that culture shifts, it will try to shift some of your convictions with it. Now, your convictions may not necessarily be the same as mine. My father had a conviction that you did not play sport on a Sunday. Now, I don't have that conviction. I enjoy watching a game of footy on Sunday. I don't have that same conviction. But... We need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us so that we have convictions that we believe that God has put over our lives. Every time culture shifts, it will try to shift your convictions. And so you need to hold strong to the convictions that God has given to you. And if you hold strong to them, you will find that it will give you influence in life. I remember when we lost six students and a teacher and a terrible tragedy that we had with our school and the Botany campus the next day and there were media people all over the campus and uh, television and, and uh, they were really touched by the godly character of the school and the church. And I remember talking to John Campbell and done an interview with him and like he had tears in his eyes. He, he felt something. Of, of the character, the values that, that, that were on the site of the people that worked there, the teachers and the, and the, and the parents and, and the school that were there. Nebuchadnezzar wanted Daniel and his friends to conform to the pattern of this world. A name change was a step towards that goal. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't be tamed by culture. And in verse 9, it says this. It says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Daniel says, come on, put us to the test. Test us for 10 days. Let's see. Just give us vegetables and water to drink. That is what we now call the Daniel fast. Anyone ever done the Daniel fast? There's one or two that have. (laughs) I kind of think, you know, that they had an anointing for that. I obviously haven't had the anointing to do that fast. And <laughs> Pastor Steve and Daniel and Botany both had done it. And the one thing that it had done that looked that I could see the effect of was both of them had no hair. So I reckon they had no anointing for that fast, I reckon. <laughs> but anyway, it worked for Daniel. See, when culture shifts, you will always be tested. There's always a moment, there's always that season, there's always when your, your values, your faith will be tested. Why? The third point is they will try to claim you. Culture will try to claim you. Culture will always try to claim you as its own. There's a battle for you. It's like, you know, you've got uh, this world's culture on one arm and it's pulling in one direction and you've got God and his word and his values pulling in the other direction and you're in the middle. You get to decide, you get to vote which way you're going to move. There's always a moment when your faith will be tested. See, when culture shifts, never give in to pressure. Verse 15, it says, At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier, better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food, So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. God gave them supernatural abilities, supernatural revelations. And it says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them ten times better than all the musicians and uh, magicians and enchanters, and probably musicians as well, and his enchanters and his whole kingdom. Ten times better. God's ways are ten times better. Anything that this world has to offer, God's ways are ten times better. See, there's two questions that you need to ask yourself. Will I change the world or will the world change me? See, will I reflect the world's culture or will I reflect God's culture? Will, uh, will I set the culture or will I reflect the culture? And we don't have to look like everybody else. You know, dare to be different. When we were kids, we used to sing a song, dare to be Daniel, dare to stand alone. You know, dare to be different. And then number two, will my identity come from God or from the world? See, what matters more to you? What people think or what God thinks? What matters more? See, Daniel being taken to uh, Babylon didn't make him a Babylonian. 
So you, you, he said, you, you can take me to uh, Babylon, but I'll never be a Babylonian. It, I will always be who I am. See, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the cultural fantasy of the day is. I don't care what's happening around me. You know, he's saying, you can do it. You can take, change my name, but you don't change who I am. See, you, you, you can give me a name that honors one of your gods, but you'll never make me forget who I am. See, don't let the devil convince you. You, you maybe go through seasons where there's pressure upon you, maybe uh, stuff that's happening in, in your workforce, in the marketplace, maybe in the school, in the education area, or maybe just even in your personal life where you're going through some stuff and could be some financial things you're going through and you're really struggling in those areas. And then you're saying, well, where is God? You know, he's meant to supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. Where is he? And I wonder if God's really in favor and really working for me. Or maybe you're going through some sickness or some difficulty like that in your life and you think, God, you're meant to be the healer and yet I'm not being healed and what's gone wrong and maybe I've displeased you. Maybe you're angry with me and you've got all these thoughts that are going through your head. You know, God is a good God. God is a gracious God. God is for you, not against you. He's given you a destiny and a purpose and a plan for your life. You need to embrace that. You know, it is 10 times better than anything that this world has to offer.